The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Know His hope And sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world Falls around me I rest And know That He has found me Christ the rock Is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode, we continue with an internet story entitled, quote, Is Christianity Stuck? Unquote. In the article, the author provides an alleged, quote, 21 outdated church practices that need reform, unquote. Here, we continue the list with issue number seven. The seventh, quote, outdated issue in need of, quote-unquote, reform, according to the author, is the problem of, quote, dogmatic teachings, unquote. We again consult the author, who says the following, quote, When churches hold rigidly to dogma, refusing to allow questions or interpretations, they risk becoming inflexible and out of touch. The early church encouraged exploration and understanding, growing through the questions of its followers. Unquote. Well, the truth is that if there is a church that, quote, refuses to allow questions, unquote, in an appropriate setting, 
then my guess is that the church uh, in question is not a church at all, but rather a cult. Or the church simply does not have the answers to the questions, and thus the church refuses to address the questions. But any church which is worth its salt will allow for and be able to answer questions when the questions are in fact sincere, and they are asked in an appropriate setting. Now, insofar as, quote, holding rigidly to dogma, unquote, and or refusing to allow quote-unquote interpretations goes, the central issue is what is the source of ultimate authority for the quote-unquote dogma and or the quote-unquote interpretation in question. If the dogma and or interpretation is based upon the totality of God's word in proper hermeneutical context and is given with clarity and specificity, then the dogma and interpretation belong to God and to His authority. In these cases, the true church, its leaders, and its congregants do not have the authority to change it or to disagree with it. If, in these cases, the unregenerate world and all of its consensus dislikes it or disagree with it, then this is not a case of the church being quote-unquote inflexible or quote-unquote out of touch. Instead, it simply points out the reality that the world of the unregenerate are at enmity with God. This is no surprise because this has been the case since Genesis 3 and will remain the case until God creates a new heaven and a new earth, having cast the unregenerate into the lake of fire along with Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. In the final analysis, either the Bible is the ultimate and sufficient authority of God revealed by God, or the Bible is a really interesting work of literature, but no more important than any other work of man. Here again, the author seems to suggest the fiction that the early church, quote, encouraged exploration and understanding growing through the questions of its followers, unquote. Okay, well, if they did, what authority did they use? Well, the problems, issues, questions, exploration, growing, and understanding of the first century church was facilitated by the apostles and or disciples who used the Old Testament, the teachings of Jesus, and the revelations given to them as they were moved by God. These revelations and teachings became the letters and epistles which now compromise the closed canon of the New Testament. But in the end, it was not the followers and the community which was molding God, his word, or his church. Rather, it was God, his word, and his Holy Spirit who molded individuals into the likeness, nature, and character of Christ, who is the head of the church, and who binds these individuals into the corporate church. Now, this is not to say that individuals in the church are a carbon copy clone of one another. 
The church is filled with individuals who have distinctive personalities, gifts, character traits, and varied skills. There are also plenty of second-tier issues which individuals can and do differ on and still have fellowship with one another. But the first-tier issues of the nature, character, and attributes of God and the sufficiency of Scripture regarding creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and glorification are all settled issues revealed by God, and they are not open for debate or alteration simply because they are unpopular or disliked by the world. The eighth quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote overemphasis on ceremony, unquote. Let's consult the author who says the following, quote, A strong focus on rituals can sometimes overshadow the core values of Christianity, compassion, community, and connection. By simplifying worship, churches could realign with these essential tenets and foster a more profound spiritual experience. Unquote. Here, the author uses the prism of secular humanism to assume that the, quote, essential tenets, unquote, and or, quote, unquote, core values of Christianity are, quote, compassion, community, and connection, unquote. But this is simply not the case. These are important consequences of a valid Christianity, but they are not the basis of Christianity. The basis and reality of Christianity is a correct understanding and confession of who Jesus is, i.e. God. We cannot have this understanding without a sincere relationship with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Once, by God's grace, we have Christ's finished work and righteousness imputed to our lives, we become a new creature, and via the indwelling Holy Spirit, Christ's nature in us begins to progressively shine through us via sanctification, and we see the fruit of that relationship in manifold ways, including godly compassion, community, and connection. It is also important to understand that the reason we go to church is not to seek a, quote, more profound spiritual experience, unquote. Rather, the reason we assemble together as a church is to worship and glorify God, to encourage one another in the faith, to be equipped with correct teaching, and to preach the gospel and witness with the community, and by the same compassion Christ has for us, share the truth of God's saving grace. Yes, ceremony can get in the way and can be overemphasized, and so can worldly sentiments and fleshly carnality. In the end, 
God's word in Christ crucified, dead, and risen again must remain the central focus. God's word should be clearly and methodically taught verse by verse and chapter by chapter in order for the church to be healthy. If it is not, get out and go where it is. The ninth, quote-unquote, outdated issue in need of, quote-unquote, reform, according to the author, is the problem of, quote, giving political endorsements, unquote. Let's consult the author who says the following, quote, Churches that venture into explicit political endorsements can alienate members and complicate their central mission of spreading a message of love and peace. The mixing of the pulpit and politics has always been a contentious issue that could use re-examination. Unquote. Above, the author makes the same mistake that even many nominal Christians make. They assume that the church and Christianity should mind its own business and that all religion and or faith is shut at the door when the adherent proceeds to vote. But the truth is that the church and every Christian believer's mandate is to go and to make disciples of all nations spreading the gospel. Our mission is to advocate for the Lordship of Christ and the righteousness, justice, holiness, mercy, and love of God everywhere, including the King's courtroom, our courts, our schools, and in every corner of society. The church is to be salt and light to a dying world, not half a dying world, and only those parts which are apolitical. Clearly, this cannot be done in a vacuum. These mandates absolutely require God's wisdom and discernment revealed by His Word in order to succeed. This means that the same process of God using teachers, preachers, pastors, and those appointed by God to study, understand, teach, and preach God's Word must be the ones who use God's Word along with spiritual discernment and judgment to biblically evaluate candidates, platforms, and issues as to their suitability to advance the kingdom of God, Christian freedom, personal liberty, freedom of speech, and allowing the body of Christ to fulfill its responsibility. This means that when candidates, platforms, and political issues threaten the health of the church, the body of Christ, or they contradict the word of God, then it is absolutely appropriate and necessary for leaders and churches to use the pulpit to inform and educate the congregation regarding clear biblical issues. This would include identifying specific individuals or groups by name, by platform, or by issues, whatever and whoever they may be, whenever these individuals, groups, platforms, or issues violate or threaten to violate biblical agendas. It is the regular failure of the church to be salt and light in our communities and our political 
education and, and judicial systems, which over time becomes the unpaid bills of the church. These bills eventually return to the church and to society in the form of society, government, and education systems, which are hostile to God and to all forms of religion, which attempt to maintain God and or the Bible as completely authoritative over secular systems. Usually, the issue is that the author and most people will allow for the church to teach and to preach about a loving guy named Jesus because a loving, gentle Jesus of 2,000 years ago whose only mandate is to love everyone and everything regardless is not a threat in any competition with the powers that be. In this case, Jesus can be molded to fit any agenda or ideology because this Jesus is nothing more than an accessory to wear in addition to anything and everything else. Additionally, the unregenerate world is busy defining or redefining terms like Christian, love, tolerance, inclusiveness, hate, justice, etc., so, whenever the church begins to pick and choose people, there's a problem, because inevitably, unlike Jesus, every human has sin in their life. Nobody's perfect. But because the church only has imperfect people to advocate for, then the fact that the church is advocating a person who has sin must mean that the church is advocating, excusing, or agreeing with the sin. Consequently, churches are shamed out of advocating for anyone by society and or the advocate's opponent. Churches and people are bullied by a hypocritical world telling the church and the people that uh, one cannot vote for an imperfect person and be a Christian. Why? Because that person has sin or is not perfect. Secondly, since the secular world controls the definitions and the narrative, the church and or the people who advocate for anything other than what secular society wants automatically have secular society using all of their narrative and self-defined terms as weapons, accusing the church of failing to be their version of good and decent. This is a problem for the church if the church's main concern is to be approved of by the world. If the main concern is attendance, relevance, inclusiveness, and diversity, then ultimately the church will have to abandon anything which threatens these things, even if it's Jesus. Once God, the sufficiency of God's word and God are as the ultimate authority for all things, ceases to be the cornerstone of the church, then the church ceases to be a church and becomes a secular club. The tenth quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote, overpriced religious education, unquote. Let's consult the author who says the following, quote, 
The high cost of religious education can make it inaccessible to many, whereas Jesus taught freely, spreading his message without a price tag. Churches might reconsider how they can make religious learning more affordable and inclusive. Unquote. Here, the author conflates private religious education and the gospel, which was Jesus' quote-unquote message. The two are, in fact, different issues. Jesus' message of the gospel was and remains free and without a price tag. Yes, the church does encourage joyful giving in order to pay the bills, to help with the poor, and to provide for missionary work. But the poor and underprivileged can walk into any sincere Christian church in just about any corner of America and freely hear the message of the gospel without any financial cost. Now, when it comes to running a school or education system where various aged children are taught reading, writing, and arithmetic Monday through Friday, there is a cost involved to do that, and it's not just or legal to demand that the teachers involved should be forced or expected to work a 40-hour week and not receive a salary which they need to live and or to feed their families. Now, I'm not sure what the author considers to be quote-unquote overpriced regarding a standard decent education, but I would guess that the author and others would have no problem arguing and agreeing that a McDonald's worker should receive an hourly pay rate with which they and their family can live on. In fact, uh, if my memory serves me, it's the same crowd marching, yelling, and demanding that every year the minimum wage be raised in order to be fair. It is the same crowd arguing that there should be universal monthly payments simply as a human right and simply for drawing breath. But here, for some strange reason, when we insert the word Christian, religion, Jesus, or church, then all of a sudden the same crowd demands that education be free. Okay, then you start the ball rolling with secular school and have all of the public school teachers lead the way and show us how it's done. When you are doing it for free, without payment, or taxpayer involvement, then we will do the same. When secular colleges and or schools become affordable to everyone without any outside help, then we will use your formula and do the same with the religious schools. The 11th quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote, ignoring modern issues, unquote. Let's consult the author who says the following, quote, Churches that shy away from addressing modern issues like social justice, mental health, 
or environmental concerns miss an opportunity to be relevant and impactful. The church has historically been a voice for change and could reassert this role in contemporary discussions. Unquote. Uh, my question to the author is simply this. Uh, by what authority do we identify, discuss, and resolve these issues? Let me be blunt. Each of these issues and others are secular humanistic issues. As a consequence, resolving the issues to the satisfaction of secular humanists who insist on these being issues requires the church to redefine itself from being Christ church to being a social services club where man and fallen human wisdom is the solution to everything, while God and the Bible are either a hindrance or must be reinterpreted to serve man rather than serving God. Whatever issues the world has today, whatever evil is afloat, is a result of a fallen world beset with sin. Sin and rebellion do not get solved and never will by man cooperating in a committee and using our collective fallen skills to construct a Tower of Babel to unify man and save the world. Instead, there is only an individual solution to sin and rebellion found in the saving work of Jesus Christ as articulated in Scripture. Once we submit to the sovereign will and lordship of Christ in our lives, then and only then are we in a position to legislate and govern in a way which God will honor and bless. Any other method which circumvents God and his word will end with totalitarian oppression, confusion, and failure because we failed to obey God and his word. This is the problem with those championing, quote, social justice, unquote, quote, mental health, unquote, and the, quote, unquote, environment. In the end, the same people who marginally claim to know God and be acting on his behalf are in fact acting upon the dictates of worldly philosophies and secular, if not paganistic, beliefs. Instead of social justice, we should be pursuing biblical justice. Instead of blaming or claiming everything to be quote-unquote mental health, we should recognize that all too often the issues are of personal choice, logical consequences, lack of personal responsibility, unhealthy and non-biblical world and life views, as well as unresolved sin and rebellion in our lives. Instead of laboring under the delusion that God cannot or is not able to create and maintain the environment, we should understand that God is not in a wheelchair. He is not dead. God is still sovereignly in control, and we need not live our lives in constant fear, believing that we must abandon virtually all modern civilization in order to survive in a cave. 
we have forgotten or choose to dismiss the reality that there is a real Satan who seeks to kill, to destroy, and to steal, and that according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, quote, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, unquote. These spiritual realities can only be properly addressed by a healthy, Bible-believing, Christ-confessing church, and they can only be fixed, God-willing, by the sufficiency of Scripture through the power and grace of Christ in our lives. If we are willing to put God into His proper place and perspective in our society, then everything else will follow. If we refuse, then these things will never be resolved. The twelfth quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote, a lack of tolerance around gender roles, unquote. Let's consult the author who says the following, quote, Rigid gender roles within church functions are increasingly seen as archaic. The principle of equality, a foundational Christian value, calls for reassessing how roles are distributed and opening all avenues of service to everyone, regardless of gender. Unquote. As in so many other cases, the author assumes, as do many others, that the Bible is an open document written by humans, which is to be constantly interpreted and reinterpreted based upon cultural consensus and personal opinion. This, in turn, means that either God does not exist, or the God who does exist is finite and fallible. It apparently never occurs to the author that God is God, and God is eternal, infinite, omniscient, and outside of time. God does not change, nor does his word ever become dated or quote-unquote archaic. Further, God is sovereign and his ways are not our ways. When it comes to quote-unquote gender roles... God's Word makes it clear that God created male and female, period. There are only two genders and or sexes which God created. Contrary to one or a million quote-unquote experts, this fact remains the same. A man born a man remains a man regardless of his feelings or his beliefs to the contrary. A woman born a woman remains a woman, regardless of her feelings or beliefs to the contrary. And all the surgery and or the medication in all the world will never change that reality. Men and women are equal in character, nature, being, worth, and value. However, 
men and women have God-given differences in the areas of role and function. Thus, when it comes to issues of church functions, Scripture makes it clear that a woman may not exercise the role of a pastor in a biblical church because God forbids women to exercise authority over men in the church. This may be archaic in the secular world in which we live. But again, I must remind the author that the church is comprised of those called out from the world. The church is not the world by design. The church is defined, given authority, and maintained by God and not by man. So, if the author does not like this, then too bad. Start a feminist club. Go to an unbiblical church calling itself quote-unquote Christian, but failing to be such biblically. Go attend a cult. Or don't go to church at all. But stop demanding that biblical churches cease being biblical so that you can participate in a farce labeling itself falsely as a Christian church and so that you can feel better about your unregenerate nature. The 13th quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote, choosing judgment over compassion, unquote. Let's consult the author who says the following, quote, when churches prioritize judgment over compassion, especially towards marginalized or non-traditional groups, they stray from Jesus' teachings that emphasize love and acceptance. Churches today are challenged to embrace a more compassionate and non-judgmental approach. Unquote. Okay, let's be clear. Biblical churches exercise a discerned balance of both judgment and compassion. Why? Because God's attributes as revealed by his word are each and all equally perfect and important. God is 100% perfectly righteous, holy, just, and true. God is also 100% merciful, compassionate, loving, and graceful. Secondly, God is not a respecter of persons, meaning that God does not see race, skin color, ethnicity, income status, title, position, or in general, male or female. We, one and all, are sinners before God, who by God's mercy receive his unmerited gift of adoption in Christ. At this point, we each stand before God on Christ's merits and not our own. This being said, the church and every child of God is commanded to exercise biblical discernment and judgment against sin and rebellion, beginning with ourselves as well as equally lovingly and humbly to all those we come into contact with for the purposes of being salt and light, faithfully witnessing, 
and holding others accountable to God's word. The motivation for such is compassion, love, and obedience. Both are biblically linked and necessary. Compassion and love cannot exist without discernment and biblical judgment. Judgment and discernment cannot be biblical without compassion and love. Jesus' teachings are not limited to emphasizing love and acceptance. Jesus' teachings also emphasize repentance, obedience, holiness, righteousness, and justice. Jesus calls out hypocrisy, foolishness, hard-heartedness, being reprobate, sin, and rebellion. Further, Jesus instructs and commands his disciples and the church to do the same and to be salt and light to a dying world. The dirty little secret here is that the unregenerate world of the author wants the church to stop talking about sin, rebellion, righteousness, and holiness. Instead, the author wants the church to be a rubber stamp shaped like a heart, stamping approval on everyone, no matter what kind of sin and rebellion they are immersed in. The author and the world want to hear how wonderful, how good, how wholesome, how talented, and how sincere they all are. They want a pat on the back, a happy sticker, and a participation trophy for trying really hard and having really good intentions. But the author and the world will by no means stand by and allow God, the Bible, or anyone else to tell them that doing what is right in their own eyes is rebellion and sin. For the time being, this concludes this episode. Please join me for part three. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust